Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. These are their stories. I am your host, Christopher Heap. Dr. Randy Lovell is an orthopedic surgeon in Grand Rapids, Michigan. His story starts out in 2003 when he was a part of a small private practice with a partner who was about 30 years older than him. When his partner was close to retirement, Dr. Lovell was just starting out. He was a young surgeon. He was focused on patient care. As time passed and the more he learned about insurance and bill coding, he became frustrated. He said he was going to let the other people focus on insurance and billing while he continued to focus on his patients who needed his care. He said there always just felt like something was missing in those relationships because of those third-party billers always being in the way. He said the industry changed for the worse and Obamacare was introduced back in the late 2000s. It became a barrier for patients seeking care at his practice. And that's when all of a sudden the employed movement happened. His small practice was bought out by a major healthcare conglomerate. Now he took this in stride. He said he went in the new normal with his chin up. He continued to work hard and took good care of his patients. But it was around that time he started thinking like an entrepreneur and questioning if there was a better way of doing things and exploring a new movement in hand surgeries that would keep people awake, be able to perform for less money and get better results. As much as we are a business and we're going to run this business to try to be successful, I'm as interested in changing things. We're just one office in one town, but if we can serve as a model, if we can serve as a template for others. What I feel like we're doing different in the sense is offering specialty care for a cash price, which is different. It dovetails nicely with the DPC movement, but it is something that is missing out there. Dr. Lovell, you described yourself as leaving indentured servitude of the employed physician world. Those are pretty strong words. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, basically, the concept of employed, being an employed physician is not very popular amongst physicians. Um, it, I was in private practice for most of my career and then certain things played out and we were bought out, taken over, made the move, whatever term you want to apply to that. And it was pretty clear from an early standpoint that that was not right, was, was not for me. Uh, I don't think it's right for most physicians, but obviously that's a very personal choice. And there would be those that disagree with me, quite frankly. So for me, the there's nothing wrong with taking care of people on a broader scale, but I just don't think innovation happens. I don't think we progress in the way that we want to in caring for our patients. And ultimately, if freedoms are limited in your ability to be the kind of doctor or provider you want to be, whether that's a specialist or a primary care physician, it's, it's not going to end well in terms of job satisfaction, and that inevitably carries over to patient satisfaction as well. So I was working for a large group, and there were some good things happening there, and I had wonderful immediate people around me, but the overall structure, the overall environment is is restrictive in terms certainly of autonomy, but maybe more so in your ability to evolve as a physician. And we go into this life in medicine to take care of people and you always want to be better. One of the greatest draws to medicine is the fact that it's never over. You don't get to a certain point and say, you know what, I know all I need to know and that now I'm good. You are constantly learning and, and as much as that feels like more work, but it's actually one of the best parts of medicine is 
I'll do things in five years differently than I do them today as we move forward and push the needle. Well, that's so, why they call it the practice of medicine, right? Exactly, exactly. It's always and, evolving, always changing, always learning. Now, you're a, you're a hand surgeon, and so you have a really interesting in, uh, background and story. So, tell us a little bit about um, what led you to this point and really why we're talking today. Give us a little bit of, uh, of your background and, again, what led you to make uh, that move from, you know, in your words, indentured uh, servitude. So... I would say that it, as the idea, really hand surgery was changing, uh, is changing, has been changing for some time. And a lot of the ideas that, that I assimilated into our practice were not mine, quite frankly. But what I did do is make a complete total commitment to them. And specifically in hand surgery, as I was seeing the frustrations with patients, with insurance, uh, with frustrations with healthcare in general, with herd type medicine, waiting rooms with 50 to 100 people lined up and, and, I, and, and ultimately my colleagues, whether they're physicians or PAs or MAs or nurses, all of their frustrations mounting, you just start, you have no choice but just to realize there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way where the provider is happier and the patient is happier. And I saw this, it's called Wallen is the, is the specific technique. It's an acronym for wide awake local anesthesia, no technique, no tourniquet. And it's a concept of doing hand surgery without putting the patient to sleep. Um, and we certainly can do small cases, but what has been and sort of my epiphany is, is I can actually do most of my cases, potentially even all of my cases, short of some extreme traumas with this technique. And as I started to realize that, I also saw a way to move out of the big system, to, to remove the patient from the surgical center, to remove the patient from the hospital, and in doing so, dramatically reduce their expenditure, not to mention the safety factor of not having an anesthetic. So as I started to develop techniques and get better at them, it became more and more clear that this was exactly the avenue to create a practice where we're essentially a destination hand center. And so in the sense that if you came in with a certain condition, we made the diagnosis, I'd be able to offer you treatment, potentially right then and there, but certainly within a day or two, and it would be a very minimal amount of cost to you and, and a very quick turnaround for you. Okay. Yeah, Dr. Lovell, so you had an interesting story with uh, an encounter with a patient recently. Yeah, it, it really, it, it was interesting as I was getting ready to talk to you, and this happened literally four or five days ago. It was over the weekend, and I was on call for our hospital system, and I got a call on Friday from the emergency room. They were worried about a woman that she had a bad infection in her hand from a power washer injury. So one of our orthopedic residents went down and evaluated the the injury and gave me a call, sent me some pictures, and uh, it didn't look like it needed surgery, but it clearly needed antibiotics. Well, it turns out that she has multiple allergies to the common antibiotics we would use to treat this infection. So we consulted the pharmacist who gave us a recommendation for a proper antibiotic that would also be okay with her allergic reactions and wrote the prescription and off she went and I was scheduled to see her in the office Three days later on Monday. So we got a call on the voicemail on Friday afternoon after the hurry hour visit and I called her back because she had some concerns and as it turns out when she went to, I won't name the pharmacy, but we're all familiar as one of the big ones, she said that her insurance didn't cover that medication. It was going to cost her $1,700 for seven days of the antibiotic, which is astounding. So she asked me if she could wait till Monday before she filled it so she could check with her insurance company first. And I 
politely but bluntly said, no, you can't. The whole timing is everything with an infection like this. We have to get out in front of it. So you just have to get that filled. And I'm so sorry it's so expensive. And I said, I, you know, maybe after the fact, I can write some letters on your behalf to make sure that everyone understands why you got it filled and how you had to get it filled. And she appreciated that. She said, okay, I'm going to go get it filled. So I saw her this past Monday and she's doing great and her infection's resolving and she's feeling better. And I asked her how things went and she got contacted by a, a nurse friend when she had heard her concerns about the cost. And she recommended that she call around to try to get a cash price for the same medication. And she eventually found a local pharmacy. She had the prescription in her hand. She got the exact same prescription, the exact same medication. And it was $36 cash out the door. And so she was thrilled about that. And it was just a perfect, perfect example of how backward and upside down the system is. And she had the wherewithal to ask the question, to, to push it just a little bit. And, uh, and that's what happens. It, the exact same medication, $36, not $1,700. And she had to drive maybe 20 minutes out of the way to find this pharmacy. So wow. it just, it, that happened. And I'm listening to the story and thinking about the work you guys are doing and, and moving in this direction, just eliminating these nonsense bills that have no basis in reality. 1700 versus 36 is a, a, uh, a pretty good math. example of some of the, some of the waste that's in there uh, from an administrative uh, bureaucracy standpoint. Yeah. Yep. So you started your own practice up and you are now doing surgeries that are safer and more cost effective for patients? Yes. So the, the moment you eliminate anesthesia as specifically general anesthetic or sedation type anesthetic, well, right off the bat, you've increased the safety of that procedure by many factors. Even my colleagues and dear friends who are anesthesiologists would agree with that. The next part of that is it has to be a positive experience for the patient. It has to be a comfortable experience for the patient. Um, but by virtue of the fact that the patient never goes to sleep, it totally changes the whole treatment paradigm in terms of timing, scheduling, their lifestyle, returning to work for the employer who has patients that need some of these cases, some of them are smaller and routine, but instead of sending that patient who works in an office setting who needs carpal tunnel surgery, for example, and then they're going to be off work for two weeks or whatever it ends up being, we have situations where some patients can literally drive themselves to the office, get their procedure done, and drive back to their office and, and literally miss two hours of work as opposed to you know two weeks or six weeks. So that, you know, there's a corollary there with savings in terms of the employer. So it's not just the healthcare direct costs, but it's the indirect costs that are related as well. So almost like a lunchtime surgery is I think how you, you've talked about it before. So you're able to take, take, take these techniques, not using the anesthesiologist part of it, and people are in and out and back to work within a couple of hours. I mean, that type of turnaround time, I, to me, I would think that that is something that we are, is going to sweep the industry like wildfire. Why aren't we seeing this model being more and more prevalent? Well, I think you will. I think it is the future uh, of hand surgery and so much of what we're dealing right now in introducing this concept, people are doing it. It's, I'm not the first one in town to be doing it. We're doing it in, in varying degrees. But there is sort of a limit to what most guys are sort of doing as an in-office sort of offering. And then you cross that threshold and everything else is like, yeah, that's, we're, we're going to put you to sleep for that. We're going to go to the surgical center for that. And so I'm just taking the stance that we don't need to, that we can do bigger cases, thumb arthroplasties. I've recently repaired a, a, a distal radius fracture, which is a broken wrist. Um, 
I fixed that with plate and screws on a patient with local anesthesia. Now I should say that was not done in the office. That was done <laughs> in a surgical center just because our office were brand new. We're not quite at the point equipment wise to be doing that, but that is entirely the point is this patient drove herself to the surgical center. She got a really pretty big surgery that involved drilling the bone, putting plates and screws on, reducing a fracture. And the only medicine she got was the medicine I gave her, which was a numbing medicine through an injection. So the, the techniques to do that case are different than I think what most people are used to. I think people are scared of needles and even the, the very, there's a whole science to how we make the, the extremity numb in the surgical site that we're working in, which is much more pleasant and tolerable than, than most people think. Is there something um, that you would think that, you know, is innate within you that allowed you to make this leap, leave the unemployed world, start your own practice, and then start employing this kind of revolutionary technique? I, it's a really good question. And, and I had along the way sort of those moments, those light bulb moments, epiphanies, if you will. Um, as I started to do more of this wall and surgery in my previous practice, one thing that became very obvious to me was how much I enjoyed it personally. And, and it's, a, it's a very different experience because you have this patient with you and you're side by side and you're really working together. And so there's a social connection between you and the patient that doesn't exist when they're asleep with a tube and they're airway breathing for them. You get to educate them about their condition while you're working on it. And some are truly interested, some are fascinated about what's happening, some want to see. And so I always would take a second and show them stuff. Now that's not for everybody. And so those that that that, that idea blows their mind, they can absolutely <laughs> yeah, be in another another world if they want to. They can they don't have to see anything. So we give it, I always ask, I give the I have I have family members come in, some I've had nursing students and medical students who are the children of patients. They want to come in and watch. We'll, 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 we'll mask them up and take their appropriate steps, but they'll watch. And so those patients that do get to see their tendons working in their hand before we close them up are very excited. They're, they, they basically smile ear to ear. They're fascinated. I've had I have a science teacher take a video of his tendons working up and down in his wrist. Really? Wow. And then, uh, he shared that with his fifth grade class and apparently got in some trouble because uh, some of the kids were a little grossed out. But the point is, you get to have, a, it's a very different interaction. But, but beyond that, the safety, the cost effectiveness. And I think, you know, coming back to the work that you guys are doing, you know, we open this office, we have four dedicated surgical rooms, and we have capacity to, to do great things here. And as we were formulating our plan, you know, it's a pretty radical concept to do something like this and go straight cash. And so as much as I've followed you, your work and the work of the DPC movement and feel relatively well-educated on that, because we can drive our prices down so low, we are going to, we're almost there, but we're going to have a published, literally a price list for the procedures by procedure, all encompassing, no surprise feeling in the back end. So a patient can literally look online and say, ah, if I go there and I have that thing done, it's going to cost me that not a dollar more, not a dollar less. And even, so we take insurance, we're working with that for now, and all of the hassles that that is, but even my insured patients, in fact, especially my insured patients, some of them have such high deductibles that they look at our prices, and, and for them, it's going to be significantly less expensive to just pay the cash price than to run it through their insurance. So it's been very enlightening to see people kind of figure that out, and I do think that the cash pay movement with the growth of DPC 
And then the other obvious target audience are the employers who are moving away from traditional insurance and they need specialty care. They're kind of finding their way, you know, the bigger Walmarts and, and Amazons are bringing physicians in-house, but specialty care is probably not something that they're going to do. But I would like to serve as a model for that where they could call me up and say, hey, if we've got a person who needs a carpal tunnel, let's agree to this price or this, you know, this procedure. And then there's just no guesswork. It, it's so simple. It's a phone call and we line it up and we do it. And so that's been really fun for me to kind of see people's reaction, whether they're an employee or employee and come in and say, well, I was going to have my carpal tunnels on years ago, but I couldn't because I couldn't miss that much work. You're telling me I can come in on a Friday and go back to work Monday. The education component is absolutely amazing. And, and I love that you talked about that and actually having a conversation with your patients, educating them. I'm sure some people out there are, will kind of be a little squeamish when you're talking about uh, seeing people's tendons moving in their hands, but it's all about the education. So knowing what's going on with their hand, knowing what your prices are, you know, usually we run into problems when we try to price compare because the insurance dominated third party payer world um, doesn't play by those rules, essentially. So what are you seeing now, you know, especially amongst uh, the life and times of COVID-19 and, and uh, a lot of self-imposed quarantines out there when a lot of hospital systems are you know, just not allowed to do their elective surgeries? Are you guys seeing an opportunity there or have you been hurt by the same regulations? We've been hurt in the same way and we've, been, we've complied with the with, uh, rules the what has you know initially it was like a complete shutdown and then we i still take calls so i take emergency call for the hospital system so we're obligated of course to take care of those patients so i've had to go into the hospital and take care of hand traumas hand emergencies um, and then we're obligated to see them in follow-up but and so we've just done that to the best of our ability with social distancing and masks and you know the alcohol wipes in the hands what we've seen lately and this has been Somewhat surprising is we, we had about 30 to 35 surgeries scheduled for here in the office that we had to call and cancel and put on hold. And quite frankly, we have those patients who have kind of had it and they're hurting and they want, even if it's something simple like a trigger finger uh, to an endoscopic carpal tunnel release to a, to a decoration, these things that we do readily in the office and they're just literally in so much pain, they're calling us and saying, please, if you're willing to see me, I, I'll sign a waiver, I'll sign a release, I'll, I just would like to come in and get this done. We had a lovely 85-year-old woman that I had booked for a trigger finger release right before we got shut down, and she called. She said, I'm very nervous about coronavirus. Is there any way you can still treat me? And so my wife and I, who's my partner in, in things, she's an RN. We came in, just the two of us, and opened up the office, just brought her in, and, and we were masked and down and loved the entire time, as was the patient. So it, it, she, she, we did everything in our power to keep it safe for her at the same time, take care of her. So... And we've had some people, same thing. I had a dentist call me up who has uh, carpal tunnel and he was waiting to get it taken care of. He called me and said, I can't wait. And I'm basically working part-time myself. This would be a great time for me to get this taken care of. So we've, we've complied with our governor's rules and the rules that uh, on the, of the road. But what we're realizing is even though there are things that are quote unquote non-essential or non-emergent, doesn't mean they're not bad or painful or disruptive to people's lives. And, and we've really seen that in the total joint population. And we've got total knees and total hips that I, I still perform that, that surgery. And, um, and our patients we had to cancel have called us. And so finally, we're at a point with, at least in West Michigan, where the hospitals are starting to open up to the more severe cases and understanding that, yeah, this is important. We need to take care of these people too. 
It's always the loose definition of what elective surgeries are. Um, a lot of people, I feel, think that that means cosmetic surgeries, nose jobs, um, that type of thing. But there are real people out there having real health issues who just got absolutely shut off from any type of uh, center such as yours. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I, I know you always talk a lot about the business aspect of, of medicine and running your own practice. What have you found what have your experiences been like as a business owner as you've been developing this idea now that you've launched it and now that you're running it in, um, you know, relatively perilous times? Well, I mean, the timing could have been worse for starters. I mean, I know it's bad for everybody and most, if not all businesses are having tough times short of the online, you know, space. So compassion for everybody that's out there doing the best they can to keep things moving and together. For us, the timing was optimally bad. We were just at sort of a tipping point where we, from an equipment standpoint, from an insurance standpoint, from a patient population standpoint, we were just you know, getting to that point where we're just rolling out these procedures. And ultimately, those procedures and those patients will be our best marketing because they're going to go out and, and tell their neighbors and friends. So the timing was bad, but you know, we did not want to go against the grain. I mean, everything we're doing is going against the grain. But in terms of safety and the fears that are out there with Corona, so... We did the best we could to, you know, just back off and take care of the emergency patients. But that's definitely turning around at this point. Uh, I, as far as running the business, there's this notion out there, and it's probably well-deserved, that doctors are terrible businessmen. And I, I don't know if that's entirely true, but, you know, at this point in my career, I'm kind of roughly at the halfway point, give or take. And I've seen private practice. I've seen employee physicianship. And I've just, in the last five to six years, just, focus really on educating myself as to what's next, what is, how can we fix this? And I, I believe that the solution is not going to come from politicians and it's not going to come from big insurance companies. It's not going to come from big hospitals. It's going to come from patients and physicians and nurses and caregivers who are face-to-face, hand-to-hand, taking care of each other. And I think that's where the real solutions happen. I think that's where the real innovation happens. And so I just started educating myself as much as I could on business. And as I've been hiring employees, first thing I tell them is, first and foremost, we are going to run this place like a business. Because if the business doesn't succeed and thrive, then it doesn't matter what our ideals or morals are when it comes to patient care, we won't be here to do it. If we are a successful business and we survive and thrive, we have the ability to shape our future. We have the ability to shape how we care for patients and and freed of bureaucracy, freed of patient limits and, you know, five minutes per patient and see the next one and you're not seeing enough and we can, we can sort of curate that environment that is actually patient-centric and patient-first. You hear a lot of lip service about that from some of the bigger institutions, but we don't see that when we're part of those big institutions. We can see it here. We hear it. We get the feedback from our patients and they say, from the moment we called, we felt that you ultimately were most interested and cared most about me as a person first, and then my diagnosis second, and then I had a good outcome. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that uh, your business partner, your wife, you work with her uh, day in, day out. Um, any words of advice uh, for physicians such as yourself and all types of different specialties, uh, anywhere from primary care all the way up? Any advice in them? Because they usually look at this type of step as either a second career or something that will absolutely drastically impact their family. It's a... <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I wish she was here to answer that for you. But I would say, first of all, that we, we haven't done it perfectly. Uh, we are human beings. And uh, definitely, it is a learning process. 
but I, I've always admired her skill as an RN. We met when I was a resident. She was a nurse, so sort of the Grey's Anatomy thing. But I've always admired her. She was just an outstanding nurse, smart, diligent, just a very, the very best nurse she can be. Loving, caring, kind, uh, diligent, responsible. Just came in early, stayed late type of person. So, and I always knew. So when you know, obviously, then we started having kids, and and she worked even through our twins' pregnancy until she got put on bed rest. But she hasn't been quote unquote in the workforce for a little bit now. So it has been a transition. She's working harder than anybody in, in terms of raising our kids with me. But it's been fun to have our kids as much as yes, it does translate to time not together to a certain degree. But case in point, right now they're here in in the office with us and it's fun for them to see us build this from nothing where, you know, a year and a half ago the building that I'm in right now was a was a dirt pile. And I saw it and I saw a sign and I pulled over and I called the guys that were starting it and one thing led to another. And so it, we, we've gone from a dirt pile, this beautiful office with surgical suites and exam rooms and an x-ray and in-house hand therapy. And so, yes, has it been hard at times? Have we had nights where we've been downtown meeting with architects and we've had a babysitter at the house? So all of those things are, are real and true. As far as my wife and I, yeah, we've had some st- stressful conversations and but at the end of the day, it's a, it, the joy of working together today, literally today, two hours ago, we just operated on a, a nice 18-year-old boy from Tanzania who had multiple tendon lacerations in the back of his hand. And we took care of him, just the two of us, because this is an off day for the staff in terms of the shutdown. So we get to go home and we get to spend the day together and, and operate together and feel that connectedness. It's really, I mean, it's amazing. I don't know that you could, you could have a better situation. Will we have some tough days and tough patients and tough cases and stress you bet. But you know, well, that's kind of life, isn't it? Indeed it is. There's challenges uh, all over the place. And so speaking of challenges, um, have any of your previous colleagues from the employed world or big hospital centers, have any of them said that Dr. Lovell, you are absolutely insane for wanting to do this? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think that, I mean, my, my closer friends in that, world completely understand it is a unique opportunity in hand surgery to be able to to kind of be a destination center where you take care of patients from beginning to end and it, and to some degree it creates freedom that that you otherwise don't have and so the autonomy is complete granted you have to now run a business which you did before but as i say to people yeah we have problems but at least they're my problems they're not somebody else's problems just being shoveled down towards me. So I have dear friends that, that I'm very close with. There's a, there's a lot going on with them right now too. And I've met with several of them um, to help them sort of navigate the stresses that they're having and what's happening with their situation and maybe serve as a mentor, maybe serve as a sounding board, maybe serve as just a friend and say, I know it's tough right now and try to be given the best advice I can. And then there are plenty that are cheering hard for us to do really well. Uh, and they're certainly jealous of the autonomy, that's for sure. They're not jealous of the running business part maybe as much, and that may not be for everybody. I, I, I personally really enjoy it, and, and it, it's kind of a different way to expand your skill set. So, but it's been, I've stayed very connected to the ones I was close with and, and probably almost gotten closer with them as I've in this position because they're looking at me as, well, he did it. Why can't I do something like that too? 
That's fantastic. It's always helpful to have some cheerleaders, even if they're not in the trenches with you all the time, but they're, right. they're uh, giving you some encouragement. Um, would you say that, you know, we've talked about how you're able to educate uh, your patients a little bit more and be a bit more active, follow-ups, that type of a thing with them, real actual conversations. Would you say that you've been more active within your broader community? I mean, are there other ancillary benefits to the social aspect and to the people aspect that your practice has brought you now? Absolutely. I mean, it's been, it's been really fun to, I've had people reach out to me that, that I didn't know at all, uh, who kind of heard about what we were doing, um, whether they're in industry or business or otherwise. I really want our office. We have a really beautiful space that I mean, kind of designed it together with the architects. And then my wife, uh, with the help of a very talented designer, kind of went through and, and curated the, the feel and the style. And our goal was you know, warm and inviting and modern and high tech, but not, you know, not, not necessarily extravagant. And they've done just an awesome job. It's a beautiful space and it's a big space that we really hope to have meetings and conferences and love to have Freedom Health Works come to town and have a seminar on, on DPC and the DPC movement and be the host. I mean, it's it, an educator. I, we don't have to always talk about orthopedic surgery and hand surgery. We want to do that too. I, I just, I really enjoy interacting in conferences and seminars with whether it's patients or colleagues, whether we're learning and growing together and we've got a space for that. And we've had people come to our lobby and ask if they could get married in our lobby. So we're not quite there yet, but, but it is a really pretty lobby. But uh, uh, so it's, it, it's been fun in that regard. It's been fun to network with my non-medical friends and, and colleagues out in the community. And, and they're excited. I mean, they're excited for, change and and as much as we we are a business and we're going to run this business to try to be successful i'm as interested in in changing things and if we can we're just one office in one one town but if we can serve as a model we can serve as a template for others um i I, you know i have a lot of inspiration to keith stuck keith smith Mm -hmm. a nice uh, phone call james donovan recently and i know you know those guys well and i just think that the people that are, are migrating into this idea of a free market world uh, in, in healthcare are, are all entrepreneurial in spirit. They all have big ideas and big dreams. And, but it's, but it's still one brick at a time. And, you know, so maybe we're just one another brick. What I feel like we're doing different in the sense is be offering specialty care for a cash price, which is, different it dovetails nicely with the dpc movement but uh but it is but i think something that is is missing out there yeah absolutely and that's kind of the next frontier uh in direct care but wanted to ask you so what are, what are your patients reactions when they first call you say hey i learned about the level hand center I, i'm not really sure how this works i have xyz insurance what are some of those conversations like and then how quickly do they realize that oh wow this is actually better for me when they come in, I mean, obviously we're friendly on the phone, but when they see the space and and they see what we can do, they light up. I mean, it, it's interesting. You can tell somebody what you're doing and they kind of nod their head and say, okay, I get it. But until they actually either go through the process. So, I mean, our very best fans are the ones we've already taken care of and operated on, but even the ones we haven't see the potential and, um, and then they understand, like they understand when we down, downsize the process when we carve out these these expenses that is that is that brings no value to the to the episode of care but it does add a 
a ton of expense, not to mention inconvenience and delays and having to schedule in another place where we work out of one schedule, our schedule, one provider, one bill. Uh, if you're paying cash, you know the entire bill before you ever decide to do it. It's a total novel concept and, and there's no surprise billing. There's no back-end billing. There's no, ooh, we forgot about this. And that that is, been, and people kind of hear that and they go, wait a minute. So that's just, I just pay that and that's it. And we're done. That's it. You're done. And it, it it's funny to see their face. They kind of look at me like, what are you up to? I'm like, no, that's it. Like, <laughs> Too good to be so true, right? Yeah. yeah. And so honestly, it's, it's so much easier with the ones wanting to pay cash versus the, when you factor in insurance, it gets really tricky because, you know, then, and I will say that we've been able to get an audience with the insurance companies and kind of educate them as to what we're doing so that we can work out more, more reasonable pricing and things. They're, they're benefiting tremendously because the cost for me to do the same procedure here versus for me to do the same procedure down the road at an institution is sometimes one third, sometimes a quarter, sometimes less than that. Oh, so bet. they're incentivized too. So even when we do work with insurance companies, they're benefiting from their patients being taken care of here. Yeah. Do you find it um, uh, difficult to have more of an episodic? And, and you mentioned, you know, that, that you're one of the few specialists, um, relatively speaking, uh, going in more or less the direct care route. And a lot of that is because the primary care is, is flourishing right now because of more of a membership type of repeat um, business models. Uh, they're able to build around that. Do you find difficulties, um, you know, in, in a lack of a membership type of a model and just episodic and then kind of follow that up with what's your reception been amongst the local direct primary care community? So the, you're absolutely right. It, as I was educating myself through your work and your podcast, as well as others, Dr. Eric Larson's a local anesthesiologist in town who has a podcast that I've learned a tremendous amount from. And um, as I, as I got thinking about it, yeah, I'm a ultimate orthopedic surgeon, a hand surgeon, and it, you're not going to have people subscribe because hopefully they never need my services. But um, so it is, you get the nail on the head in terms of the difference between a specialist versus your, your primary care. So that's where you, if you, but if you can drill your costs down, suddenly that absolute care, instead of being a seven or eight or $9,000 hospital bill or a $6,000 service center bill, suddenly a $2,000 bill. And, and even though that's a lot of money, people would, with you know, uh, health savings accounts or people who just plan and save, and, and it it, it, became, it becomes a much less expensive prospect to get their care with or without insurance. And so, um, so that that's been the basic learning is that if you just make it available and you're transparent right out of the gate, it's there you kind of you kind of part the get rid of the clouds and all the murkiness that is is tied to the interaction. Um, and I found the patients are very receptive to that. Sounds like you're beating your competition on price and quality, which is uh, a good stepping stone into uh, longevity uh, and success long-term there. So speaking as, as far as the local direct primary care uh, community goes, are you finding that a lot of the primary care doctors are happy and willing to refer patients your way? Or do they just tell patients to, hey, if you have catastrophic insurance, go figure it out? Yeah, I've, I actually met with two different groups by Zoom during the initial corona lockdown, and they're ecstatic because they don't really, as much as they believe in what they're doing in terms of the DPC model, when it comes time to say, you know, it's time for you to, 
you might need surgery for this thing and, and I've done what I can for you in terms of medical management or maybe splinting and bracing. But now it kind of looks like you might need the next step and that might be an operation. And granted, in that population that's already going to the EPC, they're planners. And so they have savings accounts to deal with these incidental things that may crop up. But nonetheless, they are 100% excited to know that, hey, here's a place where I don't even need to go there. I can look up online and check the price online and, and wow, that's well within the budget and I'm going to call them up and go there. So their feeling is if they need specialty care, particularly hand surgery, then they're going to send them my way uh, because they don't really have that anywhere else. I mean, and, and I think the DPC movement, I, it's, it's growing in West Michigan. Um, I certainly haven't met with everybody, but that's on our list to have sit downs and, and just educate them and say, we'd love to take care of your patients and, and this and we and we just dovetail perfectly with what you're doing because you by definition have patients coming in who have chosen to pay cash for their health care. Yeah, exactly. People are already in that right mindset, but it doesn't sound like you're limited to to West Michigan either. You know, domestic medical tourism seems to be popping up uh, and growing more and more. So, you know, let's go ahead and put the rallying cry out there for specialists and subspecialists that hey, if surgeons are doing it. There's a model for everybody, right? Just got to have the motivation and the willpower to be able to get out there, uh, be active in the community, uh, make those contacts, and start getting those referrals in there. Last question here for you, Dr. Lovell. If, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to either pick your brain or learn more about your services, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, our website has a contact form. We're actually in the process of revising it. You can always go to lovellhand.com. And then uh, and I'd be welcome to get emails from anybody as well, which is simply my name, randy.level at levelhand.com. And that's Level spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. Dr. Right. Level, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Wish you all the best and look forward to following all your success. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Take care. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, managed by Melissa Turpin, produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Send us your thoughts at info at healthcareamericana.com. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.